0: You're listening to the Prodine Podcast, uniting minds across Britain. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Prodine Podcast. We are having another weekly uh, review. Um, I'm joined by uh, Hugh Davis, who's become a regular co-host. How are you, Hugh? I'm well,
1: thank you. How are you?
0: Good. Congratulations on uh, being elected uh, uh, chairman of Newport West uh, Conservative Association this week. By the way, uh, we are joined by a, a two brand new panelists. Uh, we are joined um, by John Coles, who is the chief writer or deputy editor for the Pembrokeshire Herald. How are you, John?
2: I'm very good. Thank you, Charlie. How are you?
0: Fantastic. Delighted to be joined by you. And we are joined by. Probably our, uh, sorry Hugh, I don't mean to offend you or me, but probably our best writer I would say, and I don't mean to make him blush, but we are joined by Matthew Paul, former Conservative candidate for East and Deneville in the uh, Assembly election and a Parliamentary election, uh, former Change UK candidate in the 2019 European election, and barrister Matthew Paul. How are you Matthew? Very good,
3: Good evening.
0: Quite the CV, I tell you. Um, so we're just going to go through um, the various kind of uh, topics in the week, and we're going to start off with uh, coronavirus, as we normally um, as we normally do. So news this week: so Chia Philly have had their month-long lockdown extended yet further, with cases not seeming to be on the decrease anytime soon. In Wales Welsh cases have now doubled virtually week on week in terms of today's uh, data. In Scotland we have seen pubs and hospitality uh, establishments uh, being closed across uh, central um, Scotland and Gwynedd Council coming back to Wales have requested that they go into local uh, lockdown as well. Matthew, you've written on this quite extensively, seeming to advocate an approach of, I guess, is herd immunity a fair uh, assessment of your approach? Um, What do you make of everything that's been going on this week in terms of uh, the approaches taken by Welsh Government and UK Government?
3: Herd immunity isn't um, an ideology, it's scientific orthodoxy. Um, If enough people have contracted a disease and acquire immunity to it, the chain of transmission is broken and the risk to people whose uh, risk from contracting the disease is higher is diminished. What we should have been doing months ago is had the university and school term that never was uh, at the start of the summer term in April, all of those children should have got the disease and had it and it should have been rattling around the school and university and young working population for months in the months when it would have been easier uh, for people who are vulnerable to self-isolate and the people spending more time outside the chain of transmission wouldn't have been as strong and we would have been in a far better position than we are but lockdowns are just kicking the can down the road they're just storing up the trouble saving those infections for a later date and so what we're seeing now is infections that could have been dealt with and done in the summer when there was no pressure on the NHS at all are now coming up together with normal colds, seasonal flu, everything else that traditionally afflicts people in the autumn and winter. Um, So my view is, and it's been my view from the very start, the lockdown policy was wrong in the spring and summer. Um, I think it's still wrong now, but pursuing it as vigorously as we did and going for suppression as vigorously as we did uh, months ago has stored
2: up trouble and we're
3: reaping the reward now.
2: I think it's got a lot of merit to it. The the reality is that the UK and the Welsh governments should have been tapering off the lockdown restrictions they imposed far earlier than they did. Um, They could have been tapering them off in June, July. The peak of infection was in May. They should have gradually tapered them off at that time instead of leaving restrictions in place for quite a long period over summer and then at the point when people are getting ready to mixed again at the start of the school term and also um, at the start of the university term, opening the floodgates, eat out of help out, which did virtually nothing for the economy, and then you end up in a situation where you get to September, you're hurtling towards um, those constantly unexpected winter pressures in the NHS, and you end up with the worst of both worlds. Um, I think you know, I think the lockdown was probably the correct when it was taken, but it should have been over and done with and we should be moving on from it far earlier.
1: So do you think then on on that, do you think that the Scottish and uh, Welsh governments, uh, because obviously back in May, they they seemed to take a different course from what the UK government was taking, do you think they were wrong to do so and they should have followed what the UK government was doing at the time?
2: I think that the Welsh government has got so much wrong over this. Um, right. It's. If I, if I can just go off on a tangent for a minute, one of the worst things that um, the Welsh Conservatives have done is to remove Angela Burns as health spokesperson. I know she's leaving at the next Senate elections, but she had Vaughan Gething on the ropes, halfway out of the ring and hurtling towards the back door. Um, he has been an absolute shambles as health minister during this crisis. Um, the number of calls he's got wrong, promised big, under-delivered. It's absolutely, he's been absolutely appalling. And I think the way the Welsh government handled it with him as health minister has been pretty bloody dire.
1: And, and on that, do you, do you think uh, the movement of, because obviously uh, uh, there's been a new health post created in the past few days, do you think that's to take some pressure off Vaughan Geffen because they think he's such a car crash? They can't say well, uh, because that would be public relations disaster. Mm. But do you think that he's been moved over to take some responsibility off him? Do you think it is virtual demotion?
2: Well, it can't be anything else can it. It puts him in a position now where he has responsibility for bits of the NHS that deal with Covid, coronavirus, whatever. Um, Quite frankly, Darren Miller, the Conservatives, splits that post with other responsibilities. Hmm. Um, Vaughan getting has no other responsibilities. Um, he's not the minister for anything else at the moment. He's not even the minister for Wales, for the Welsh NHS. He's the minister for COVID-19 in Wales. Hmm. That's his job. Everything else has been done by Elinor Morgan.
0: The problem we've got, though, would you not say... Um... Um, is that the UK government ultimately... Doesn't Doesn't the UK government ultimately set the direction of travel in terms of mm. how we deal with the coronavirus? So I, I know it's devolved. I know they're mm. devolved matters for Welsh government, uh, Scottish government and so on and so forth. Mm. But ultimately, the UK government set the overall direction of travel. Mm. Now, Nicola Sturgeon's gone a bit gung-ho since then mm. and is probably taking it even further. Matthew, you alluded to earlier that Actually, Mark Drakeford actually resisted the calls for mandatory face masks um, for, for quite some time. So I guess, Hugh, um, what would you mm. actually say to that in terms of the UK government, ultimately? The, the buck stops of the UK government, they're the ones setting the strategy and they're the, the ones getting it wrong.
1: Well, no, I, 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 think, I, I think that's a nonsense argument, to because they, they've all taken their own choices, regardless of the economic packages. Um, which is soon like as today announced that any local lockdown made in Scotland or made in Wales or in England or any part of the UK um, will be supported. To so their income will be paid for via a, a form of extension of furlough. So I think that's nonsense that they're setting the strategy. That, the, you know, it is devolved. They have the the, the, buck, the buck stops with, the, with those governments. Quite frankly. and you know, it, it's the, the
3: Welsh the Welsh government was playing grandma's footsteps in most respects with the UK it. government. It was seeing what was working, what wasn't working, holding on for two weeks or so after the uh, UK government had done whatever it was going to do, um, and then claiming huge credit for being far more cautious than Westminster. Um, And most of that was sheer nonsense. Uh, The decision they did get right, I think, was on masks. There's no evidence of greater transmission in Wales in the time when masks weren't compulsory uh, than there was in England. Um, they suppress people's demand to go to the shops. It puts people off shopping if they've got to take a face mask with them. Um, and at times when they don't do much good, it's better
0: not to have them. I would tend to agree that at the moment, it's better you do. There was another kind of cite you fa- um, in your article, sorry, it's not meant to be The Matthew Show, but um, you, you've uh, wrote, written it today, about 50,000 excess deaths in the 2017 flu season yes having said that we've had forty thousand deaths so far up until this year with the biggest erosion of civil liberties that we've frankly you know ever seen so actually if we were to take this approach and this is for all of us really because i think there's a broad consensus that we can't continue locking down having said that it would be worse than the flu season though isn't it if we adopted potentially a different approach to Yes, it's
3: it's at least twice as bad as the worst recent flu season, um, and it may well end up being three or four times as bad. But whether or not that justifies the damage that we're inflicting on the economy, um, I think is something which hasn't been properly debated. Parliament isn't allowing it to be debated. The Senate isn't debating it properly. uh, And governments have now just taken enormous executive power to themselves, governing by fiat. Everything is by diktat rather than through parliamentary scrutiny or scrutiny in the Senate. And we've surrendered an enormous amount of parliamentary control and scrutiny over legislation um, on a basis that I think, frankly, does not deserve it. Um, And the the government seems to have taken it as the single biggest duty it has to ensure that people shouldn't die of COVID-19. And when the average age of people who do die of COVID-19 is 82, you might take the view that actually, you know, that the people have had their innings at that stage um, and that the country shouldn't grind to a halt to put on however many extra years onto the lives of people who have had a proper human lifespan in the first place. Um, and yes, I, it, it's not the most attractive position to put in. You can quite understand well, it's a lot easier for commentators and journalists to say it than it is for politicians to say it, um, because old people disproportionately vote. Uh, but my view, um, there should be a slightly more cold eyed assessment taken as to whether or not the number of lives saved by the lockdown justifies the damage it's doing, and specifically the damage it's doing to people who have their entire lives to dig themselves out of the hole that the government at the moment is blasting and excavating its way
0: through. And let's go on a bit of a segue now to the um, the US election context. Um, <clears throat> Donald Trump has kind of seemed to be recovering well from coronavirus, mm-hmm. and, and he's, <laughs> and, he's <laughs> out, and, and he's come out and he's come out sort of saying there's nothing to fear. We need to get on with our lives and so on and so forth. John Coles, as public um, as publics across the, the Western world become a bit more fatigued with lockdowns and so on and so forth. Do you think actually it might, it might go to this, this kind of line might actually start to go to his advantage as we head into the final weeks of the American election campaign? Or do you think his reputation over COVID is so badly damaged that the, 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 the Biden's lead is, is for him, unfortunately
2: unsalvageable? Well, let's look at Donald Trump. You know, he, he comes as a package you accept he's going to exaggerate, you accept he's going to, shall we say, splash words around with the free abstraction of Jackson Pollock. I think, in this case, he's almost certainly going to tap into a sentiment which is anti-science, which is against um, restrictions. Americans are Profoundly libertarian. Um, they don't share the um, dirigist tendencies of European governments, for example. Whether that has any effect on the presidential election, I think Biden has built up a head of steam in the absence of Trump really doing anything. Um, it's not, it's the culmination of. I suppose you call it Trump fatigue. There's only so much constant revolution you can have before people get a bit worn out and a bit ground down by it. If you look at the positive things that have happened during his presidency in, foreign, in the foreign affairs field, for example, brinkmanship works only so often. Brinkmanship is not going to work tackling a disease which is immune to um, which is immune to being talked at or tweeted at. Um, if I can just wind back one bit, um, it's no use people blaming scientists for what's happened over COVID. Governments make political decisions. Scientists advise governments make political decisions. The problem that someone like Donald Trump has is that, whether he likes it or not, he is synonymous with the government. It is his government and the state governments that have made decisions over COVID in the US. And the danger is that someone's going to say, well, hold on a minute, you're trying to have the penny and the bun. You're going to be the great COVID saviour, but you got us here in the first place. And if you haven't got us here in the first place, we wouldn't be where we are now. Um, Matthew, the truth of the matter is, though
0: you know, even though it's going against Trump, Biden's approach of kind of nationwide mask mandates outdoors and indoors will fundamentally make the fight against COVID probably well work. Well, maybe not COVID directly itself, but everything else, the other permutations of not dealing with things like heart disease, suicides, cancers, and so on and so forth. Biden will probably be worse for COVID, or rather, in terms of the response to the pandemic, than Donald Trump. Would you say? Well, Biden would be a lot worse for
3: COVID, and uh, something of a miracle, he didn't catch it in the first debate. Uh, Trump, obviously went to, <laughs> Trump, Trump obviously went to Mephistopheles, with whom he has a contract for, to survive at least until the end of his first presidential term, um, and pointed out the small print and said that he couldn't be allowed to drop dead just yet, um, and so has strode back, you know, absolutely indestructible from the COVID. Uh, and I think it will help him. I think it will help him very significantly, because Trump's entire shtick is that he is not as normal people are, um, and that he is this sort of supreme Ubermensch deal maker, this sort of perfect person at the top of government who can just make these decisions for the American people. Um, whereas Joe Biden is now just some sort of you know worn down schno um, who stands no prospect of actually making a single decision in his entire time in office if he's successful enough to get there. Uh, which he ought to. But then again, Hillary ought to have done. Hillary should quite obviously have won the last election, and she didn't. Um, Biden should quite obviously win this election, but you just never know with the perversity of the American people what they're quite going to do on election day. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's um, Trump's victory over COVID will tap into the general American feeling that, you know, to hell with these regulations, to hell with this mask wearing, um, to hell with all this we're being told to do by liberals in New York and Los Angeles. Um, we just want to get on with our lives and Trump is showing us how to do it. And yeah, I, I think that will play well for him. Um, where he obviously has the real difficulty is in the fact that overall, he's at least four to six points behind in the opinion polls and he needs to be only four points behind nationally to win the election. Uh, and so he's got to pull back a little bit between that, you know, in the space of three weeks, um, if he's to actually um, you know, just squeak a totally unmerited second uh, second win. Uh, but no, on the whole, I think COVID have done, COVID's done him well. He's, uh, he's had a good play.
0: Um, <laughs> Hugh Davis, um, <clears throat> ultimately, this would be an even bigger shock if Trump was to win a second term in mm. terms of the polling differentials than mm. his victory over Hillary Clinton. It would be probably, we'd, we'd know what to expect of a second term, but in terms of electorally, it would be a bigger, it would be a bigger surprise if he won from this stage, wouldn't you say?
1: Um, I would say it's a surprise. I, I still believe that he will win, um, and I think the Democrats—they're showing lately that they're going quite ar- arrogant. Um, yesterday, Nancy Pelosi said she might want to invoke the Twenty-Fifth Amendment, uh, which, for those who don't understand the U.S. Constitution, it's basically she, need, she might
3: need if Biden wins.
1: Well, nice. yeah, it's basically
2: about <laughs> removing
1: presidents and. Uh, bringing in the, once they've died or whatever, and they bring in the vice president and make them president. Uh, and also Biden at a press conference, I think in Arizona, when he was asked about um, flooding, well, increasing the number of uh, Supreme Court justices. He was asked his opinion on it and he said, oh, well, we'll have to, we'll have to wait after I'm elected and then I'll give you my opinion on it. Um, so I think there was a degree of arrogance coming back uh, to the Democrats. They think they've got it in the bag. Um, which, which was their death knell in 2016. I do think that they are counting their chickens a little bit too, too early. I do think that now Trump's back in business tomorrow. He can go and he can go about his own business with um, uh, public rallies, etc. So I think that once we see him back in business and perhaps using the same messaging as, as, as uh, Matthew um, alluded to, uh, we may see him pulling back. Um, I know I saw a poll just before I came on that he was ahead in Florida. You wouldn't expect him to be ahead in polls when you haven't really seen him for the past what week or so. Um, so you know, there's all to play for. And especially now the messaging he is because he I think he's I think he's looking at the weaknesses where he's doing badly or not as good as he could do in the polls, particularly with the messaging he's doing regarding Regeneron and all these drugs he's talking about. He's talking about seniors. And the senior vote, he did very well in 2016, but he's not doing as well as he did um, this time in the polls, uh, predicting. So perhaps perhaps I think they've used the time effectively to look at where they're doing well, where they're doing badly, and perhaps the messaging may change as as he comes back tomorrow.
0: Let's move on from uh, the coronavirus, uh, which is continuing to cause uh, a lot of chaos. In other news, this week we had the Conservative Virtual Conference kind of coming to its conclusion and Boris Johnson, uh, did a, a kind of a reset speech Um in terms of the priorities, um His government were to get after uh, and included things such as um, wind power getting wind powering uh, getting wind power and uh, kind of you know powering the country by 2030. John Coles,
2: what did you think of Boris Johnson's speech? Not a great deal. I'll be honest with you um, never mind wind power, seemed to be powered by an awful lot of hot air. Um, as for reset, um, well, real, reality is that Boris could do with a warm boot, um, but you know, he's not, this was dire stuff. Um, there's a famous sketch um, that I'm very fond of where Peter Sellers um, takes the Mickey out of um, Harold Macmillan demonstrating how MacMillan's gestures never quite matched his words um, you know, um, For the example, to the left, to the right, away towards you get the idea. Well oh, that's exactly what Boris Johnson is like. It's, it's an actor manager's performance. Um, the big announcement, um, the big announcements, such as they were, were lack detail, lacked body. You know, let's have the UK powered by offshore wind farms by 2030. Okay, how's that going to be paid for? Where's the infrastructure going to come from? How are we going to do it? That you know, the only way that can be done is with massive government subsidy. The private sector isn't going to stump up all of that cash. If the public sector comes up with the money, there's only one way to pay for it, and that's by increasing taxes, which, of course, the government would do. Then you have this um, housing idea. That's only going to work if the state underwrites people's mortgages. Now we've seen what happened when that when that when the state did that in America. It simply didn't work. It caused absolute havoc. It plunged the government into enormous debt. I. I do wonder whether the people who are advising Boris Johnson are advising him in joined up writing. It simply seems to be a series of this, 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 this and this, but no connecting thread. Um, It was pretty dismal stuff and how he can be counted or people buy into the notion that he's a great orator, frankly. Escapes me. Um, you know, tired classical tropes that he usually gets wrong. Um, it's pretty disappointing stuff. And the fact that at the end, and this was the worst bit of the whole thing, he stood there at the end and he said, and this is the bit where people normally clap. Oh, goodness me. It just goes, show all he does is play to an audience to be fair, to be placed to his audience rather well. He's not offering anything other than vague promises. Jam today, jam tomorrow, jam whenever you want your jam. Maybe a little bit of marmalade if you're lucky. And that's it. Um, It's empty words by an empty vessel.
3: Well, John John will have seen that he played um, only uh, eight or nine months ago uh, to a rather larger audience and secured a parliamentary majority of 80. Mm. on exactly the same guff and bluster that you heard in his um, conference speech this week. So I I wouldn't entirely write off the ability of Boris Johnson to um, galvanize people into some sort of common endeavor. Uh, And, you know, he has, I'm no enormous admirer of Boris Johnson, but I think it's foolish not to recognize his strengths. Um, His strengths are not as one of the great public speakers of our time. Um, But certainly in a room where he is giving a speech to members of the Conservative Party, there you do need to leave quite a lot of time for clapping, because clap people do. Um, And even when he's talking to people who aren't members of the Conservative Party or aren't natural Conservative voters, uh, Boris has a strong personal appeal that you shouldn't and can't overlook. Um, This speech, far from his best, far from his best. The 160 million that's being thrown towards offshore wind uh, might put up one or two turbines um, of the tens of thousands that will be necessary to uh, achieve the, uh, the, the, the stated goal of powering all of Britain's electricity by 2030. Um, there's going to have to be nuclear in the mix, and at the moment, the situation with regard to new nuclear power stations they over and in England is dire. Uh, nobody's prepared to build them in the current climate. Uh, I totally agree with John about um, the uh, unaffordability of massive guarantees uh, on first, you know, first-time 1st buyers when asset prices, as a result of the government's policy, you know, obvious policies they had to pursue in terms of uh, pumping enormous amounts of freshly minted money into the economy, are going to carry on what QE has done for the last 10 years and send asset prices flying through the roof. So. Whether or not any of these things that were uh, mooted in the speech actually are deliverable uh, is something that we can only sit around and wait to find out. Um, what I'm fairly sure is that um, the alternative of confiscating the money of people who have it at the moment um, or companies who have it at the moment um, and putting that into buying people houses or um, improving the electricity infrastructure will do no better in terms of the country's overall
0: economic future, than the um, ideas that the Conservative Party seem to have. Hugh, isn't it a case of actually, and the, the Cameron approach to public finance was one of balanced budgets, um, uh, fiscal surpluses.
3: Obviously, right. um, right.
0: and 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 we have now moved to approach where the um, I think John mentioned about higher taxes, but actually, is higher taxes something that is actually being comprehended. It feels like another case of the the magic money tree being dusted off for a little bit more because ultimately our thinking around public finance is now that we can just about spend anything to keep, you know, we've we've locked down our economy so we can spend just about anything because it's the right thing to do to keep business. So actually, is this a case as the public, the relationship between politicians and the public purse in the Conservative Party fundamentally altered but will actually cause long-term economic, Damage. Everyone likes
3: higher taxes for anyone who has a better car than them. The the poll you (laughs) saw, the poll you saw this week, the poll you saw this week, where people say, a massive majority of the British public, 70% of the public, think the rich should pay higher taxes. And when you ask them, who are these rich? It tends to be people who earn about 20 grand more than they do. Um, And the the, the demand know, the the baying demand, that people who they feel are better off than themselves should pay much, much more than they do already, um, is something the Conservative Party needs to be exceedingly wary about, um, because that way lies the complete grinding to a halt of the economy. Um,
1: uh, As I was going to say, Charlie, um, I kind of agree what uh, Matthew Paul is saying, but um, the public are quite happy to pay higher taxes, and the government is going to look at that polling I think, well, if they're quite happy to pay for it, then they're going to put them up. They may not like it in the longer run, um, but in the short term, I think they will put them up to a... Well, the, the
3: public never happy for other people to pay higher taxes. Mm. The public are uh, never uh, happy for themselves to, not, pay to pay
1: higher taxes. It's
3: not taxes.
1: Holdings will suggest that they do also want to pay taxes themse- higher taxes themselves, particularly when it regards to social care. A little bit. <laughs> A little bit, yes, but still an-, yeah. an increase. It will not there will not be massive increases upon certain incomes, that's for sure. So
0: do you think I do think- you think that, that do you think the public would stomach an extra penny on the pound in terms of tax rates? Well the government's
1: commission they won't increase income tax. So that's not going to happen, I don't think. Uh, I think what they'll probably find is an increase probably in capital gains, probably in the other, probably in, in duties, fuel duty, for example, or uh, I think they're saying a review of national insurance, uh, I think should actually did a few months ago, reviewing self-employed national insurance being paid, um, there will be a review of taxes, and I think they won't increase VAT if they're committed not to, they may add things into the bracket of paying VAT, so you, we, we will probably see increases, in taxes. Probably indirect taxation will probably, probably be their main focus, but there are definitely going to be tax increases, don't, don't you worry. And it's not, um, unconservative to not increase taxes. Um, I'm not, I'm not I don't want to increase taxes personally, but conservative governments, factor increased taxes. Um, it's not, it may be post-1979, not very conservative, but the Conservative yeah, Party is
3: our best chancellor ever. yeah again. Ken Clark increased taxes, and he was our like best Ted, yeah. forever.
1: Otters in the Foot.
3: He, he set up Tony Blair for 10 years of um, responsibility for the government. Yeah.
1: Mm. Well, he li- well, we lied, didn't we? Well, the <laughs> Tories lied, um, <laughs> saying they wouldn't increase taxes, and they did. Um, yeah, and that's, why well, I, that's, that's why I think the government will target their increase of taxes away from the ones they've sort of ring-fenced.
2: Well, it's a very don, selective don- reading of history. Um, the Conservatives... Always increased taxes. They fiddled around with the margins of income tax, That's and true. they did. I'm old enough to remember the 1979 um, general election and its aftermath. And the Conservatives said they had no plans to increase VAT and doubled it as soon as the polls were closed. Um, indirect know, that, that <laughs> <laughs> In taxes. Indirect taxes. Indirect taxes are a regressive way of taxing consumption. Consumption it's is flexible. what the government now it's wants flexible. to now wants to encourage to get the economy kick-started, they also disproportionately affect those on lower wages. If I can just wind back just a a moment there. I think one factor um, I appreciate what Matthew said about Boris winning the December 2019 general election, but he was facing the biggest shambles of an opposition in living history. Yeah, we're talking about a, a party that was in even worse condition than the Conservatives we were going into 1997's election after 13 years ago, after 18 years of government. Jeremy Corbyn was dire. Kirstarmer has become Labour leader by not being Corbyn. At the moment, he's doing rather well by not being Boris Johnson. Shows some, Well, some basic skills of advocacy, Matthews. I'm sure you'll appreciate you ask the question when you know the answer to it. Don't dribble on about you know, fairness and equality when you want to nail something to the spot. And that's what Keir Starmer's doing rather well. But Boris Johnson, to be fair
0: in that speech, it was a answer to the critics that he's been too negative and too pessimistic uh, regarding COVID and so on. Yeah. It was at least, do you not accept, John, that it was a return to a somewhat <clears throat> positive vision, mm-hmm. however realistic these these, um, yeah. these yeah. Uh, commands sort of were. But it was nonetheless a return to the kind of Johnson's a bit more optimism, which is, is USP, I guess, in which he has yeah. had people
2: yeah. rally around him. I accept that because I have to say that having spoken to, having been to the Count in... Sally Pemmicha, Kamal in Westside Pemmicha, and the one for Kamal in East and That the one thing that Boris Johnson does is he infuses a room. He's positive, it's relentlessly positive messaging. And that works. Um, people want to hear good news, they want to be told things they want to hear. They don't want to be told this is going to be very difficult. They really want to be told this is very difficult, but what they want here is going to smash through it. And as speak, speaking styles go, Boris Johnson is rather good at that one. The problem is that is not the way to govern the country. And as can be seen by what's happening with the current government, making random announcements which are disconnected from reality or the rest of government for that matter, is not working for it.
0: Um, let's move on to the next item, which is around White um, Cymru. Oh,
2: yeah.
0: I'm in a bit of bother again. So they cleared um, <clears throat> their um, their candidate, uh, Sahar al Faifi who's been accused of anti-Semitism. Um, the board uh, of deputies have um, I- said that is an absolute disgrace that she is still able to stand uh, as a uh, candidate. Um, But Adam Price, Plaid Cymru, say the matter is closed. Matthew Paul, do you think that the anti-semitism that um, tarnished Corbynism, um, you know, anti-semitism hasn't gone away, do you think it's now rearing its ugly head in Plaid Cymru? And do you think that causes them problems in advance of next year's Senate election? I don't think it will be a major issue in the Senate
3: election. Um, Plaid Cymru has a lot of people who are of the um, moderate to hard left. And people of that political persuasion, on the whole, disapprove to some extent of uh, so the of Israel. So the 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 issue really is one. I don't think it's on with a lot of them. I don't think it's really an issue of anti-Semitism. It's it's more um, that they are so utterly bigoted in their view of the state of Israel um, that they you know they can't see anything but through a filter. And I think this this was a um, the, the same sort of thing, wasn't it, that that Miriam Margolis put about um, that is, it, the Israeli, um, the IDF are the ones who've been going around the world uh, teaching it is how you kill people by putting your neck or your your, your, your knee on their neck, um, and it, it's always rubbish. It's the sort of same bullshit meme that gets circulated um, in every area of political life, but it is quite it is quite pernicious and it is you know obviously in this case false. Um, I've not met the Plaid Cumbrie candidate in question. I don't know what she's like. Plaid um, off after she embarrassed herself last time, said she'd been sent off for some, sort of some kind of um, deprogramming, <laughs> re-education, uh, which well, doesn't well, appear to have Say again? The, the training is clearly
0: crap.
2: Uh, well,
3: it, the the, the, the deprogramming the didn't work. Um, and uh, she's, she's coming out with exactly the same stuff all over again. Um, I, I think... You know, it, it, is, it is an embarrassment, and it, it should be the sort of thing that anyone who is a political candidate for a respectable party shouldn't be putting about. Um, but I, I'm also, I, I think, you know, it, there is a, you know, a point of view, um, and it's in some respects a semi-respectable point of view, um, that doesn't approve of the state of Israel and its policy towards Palestine. Um, and there are certainly elements of Israel's uh, uh, response to Palestinian aggression, and it normally is Palestinian aggression, that I think is disproportionate, um, and treatment by the Israelis of Palestinians that I think is not necessary. But a lot of you know, what you're seeing from the left is much more rooted in, I think, in a, a, a fairly sort of ingrained bigotry than it is in a real consideration of whether or not any particular particular policy is what's needed to do to counteract an obvious threat of people who want to go in and stab people and blow themselves up, mm-hmm. um, rather than, you know, a, perhaps as one might be seeing here, a, a just a sort of visceral hatred of, uh, of people who tend to sort of uh, agree with the Israeli side. But I uh, no, implied, I don't think that's implied the biggest problem by any means. I implied, implied the biggest problem um, is they've been made irrelevant. Throughout the coronavirus, um, Ad- Adam Price, the de Rogan, has disappeared from public life. He become, I mean, he and Mark Drakeford have switched places. Before, you know, when Adam Price took over as leader of Plaid Cymru, he was this sort of like great thing descending from the heavens like Elijah in a chariot of fire to take Plaid Cymru and sweep them to victory and, uh, you know, and, t- and totally change the political narrative in Wales. And he's disappeared. And on the other hand, poor old Mark Drakeford, Mark Drakeford sort of peeked out of his hole. And, and you know when the coronavirus started, and, and, and a few people saw him and thought, who's that, who's he? And he's the First Minister of Wales. And, and people discovered that there was a First Minister of Wales and he was called Mark Drakeford and they actually thought he was all right. And, and he's not going around vaunting himself and being this huge bag of wind and is you know, sounding off about sort of immortal destiny. He's just—he's coming across as a pragmatic, likable figure, um, and as such has completely eclipsed Plaid Cymru. He's shot their fox, something rotten. Um, and Adam Price is sitting howling, wailing, and gnashing his teeth at the idea that you know what should have been his from the start. COVID Cymru—he set up his uh, you know those sort of Plaid Cymru websites to try to sort of take control of the narrative of the coronavirus, and it's gone totally dark since the end of April. You know,
2: nothing's
0: happening now. And, and Adam Price didn't show his face. Um, Davis, in terms yeah. of um, Sahar, there's an, there's an accusation, a counter, and that is made by Plaid Cymru, um <clears throat> members when you say, you know, Plaid's anti-Semitism problem and so on and so forth. And they say that the Conservative Party has an anti-Muslim problem or has a anti-Muslim hatred problem. Is there legitimacy in that argument or do you think it's deflection?
1: Uh, it's what about me, that's what it is. Um, <laughs> you know, they have perfectly their right to expel her. Clearly, there are serious concerns about the views on Israel and the Jewish faith, for example. Uh, the British Board of Jews has written to, to Adam Price saying she should go. Um, what more do you need to get rid of that? I, I, I don't understand why, they, why she is still there. Um, this should have been dealt with ages ago, uh, quite frankly. Um, and I, I I agree with uh, Matthew on that perspective. Is that there is a there is a part of Diemery like which um, you know they're, they're very big on Catal- Catalonia in- independence, and probably because they see the um, Palestinian cause as something similar to, similar to theirs. But they see Israel as a imperialist power, um, for example. Well, that's
0: that's slightly embarrassing in itself, isn't it? That they see yes, yes. Uh, the, Welsh, the Welsh nationalists don't they? They see England as this, well, exactly. you know, a um, historical lens.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, it's not, I mean, I think there is a passage, well, I think there's an interview, which which is the uh, leader of Plaid Cymru at one point, uh, asking um, and I think he stated that the, the Jewish, uh, those of the Jewish faith have never been of aid to the cause of the Welsh yeah. nation. Um, so th- it's not exactly as if there have been issues with Plaid Cymru with with the Jewish faith or Israel before. Um, so, you know, it's, it's embarrassing for them, it's unnecessary, but obviously the vast majority of the public won't care because Clyde Cymru is for a, is not, in mean, areas like mine, Ply Cymru are nowhere to be seen, and uh, only a small part of the electorate will probably notice, which is a sad thing, really.
0: Well, John Coles, Clyde <laughs> are quite prominent in West Wales, um, Kerry Diggins, Commandments, Sherpenrichshire, to a lesser extent. Why, in your opinion, has Adam Price not had the cut through with the Welsh public?
2: Well, I think Adam Price faces a couple of quite substantial issues. Um, Let's start with Yes, Cymru. Yes, Cymru is a non-party political um, campaign. It is getting far more traction than Plaid is on the subject of Welsh independence. Mm. And if Plaid isn't leading the way on the policy of Welsh independence, you have to ask what Plaid Cymru is for. It's simply being rendered very much a second, um, it's second class when it comes to that single issue. And it is primary issue. If Plaid Cymru isn't, as I say, Plaid Cymru isn't for Welsh independence, it's for nothing. Um, but it's been eclipsed by the popular movement behind Yes Cymru, which has a far larger membership than Plaid does. The other problem is that I looked at the Plaid conference agenda as a a job in I get um, conference agendas sent to me and I looked at Plaid's conference agenda and there wasn't a single line in it about Welsh agriculture. There's plenty about climate change, there's plenty about the sort of issues which entertain and entrance metropolitan liberal media types, but agriculture and 84% of Wales' is agricultural land didn't feature once. And agriculture is also the major industry in those parts of Wales, which tend to vote Plaid the most. It's as though they've taken their base for granted. Um, you're gonna vote for us anyway, we don't have to do anything to reach out to you, so we're now gonna reach out to these exciting new ideas in metropolitan areas, and quite frankly, I think it's nonsense. Um, On the subject of um, Zahar al-Faithi, anti-Semitism will be used to stick to be applied with. And quite frankly, I'm not surprised, and it should be by other parties. Because you can't kick at Corbyn and say, oh, look how naughty Labour are under him and look at the anti-Semitism and then turn around on the other side and say, well, when it comes to us, we're we're, we're going to sweep it under the carpet. The same candidate was up before the beaks last year, um, given a ticking off, told to go on a training course, came back this summer in the midst of the um, fuss surrounding the death of George Floyd in America, repeated precisely the same nonsense, as did Leanne Wood, um, about Israel's, Israeli um, IDF forces training American police to kneel on people's necks to subdue them. That was a lie, It's a, mis- it a total lie. And there was no purpose behind saying it other than to whip up anti-Israeli sentiment. And she did it again. Now, you know, once is carelessness. And to be fair to her, the ones from last year were tweets from tweets and Facebook posts from two or three years before but to be given the warning and then do it again Mm. is just completely crackers. Rebecca Long-Bailey got kicked off the Labour front bench for this, you know, and if you're gonna kick a person who ran for the leadership of your party off the front bench, then the least you can do to a candidate on a regional list with very little chance of getting elected is to give them a shove and get someone else on it. Um, I can't believe that they played this so badly.
0: Matthew Paul, just want to come back to you on Drakeford. Drakeford, yes, is popular at the moment because he's the boring professor that you know. He he gives us all a sense of safety, um, you know, with this deadly coronavirus. But when it comes to setting out the future vision for Wales, he's totally ill-equipped, is he not? His leadership style, his lack of charisma, and actually, Adam Price benefits. As no, I disagree, Dis- disagree totally. Um, I, I, I think that
3: uh, Drakeford's lack of charisma is his great selling point at the moment. Um, he actually comes across as slightly human and people listening to Drakeford, um, I think, get the impression of somebody who, even if he leads an administration which is you know, pure crap, um, is somebody who has Wales's best interests at heart. Um, I, think, I think his human qualities, as opposed to those of Boris, um, come across rather well. And every time you see Drakeford directly, personally um, juxtaposed against Boris Johnson, it's Drakeford who does better by the comparison. You know, he doesn't come across as like burning with ambition. He doesn't come across as somebody who would sell his own career, you know, would make would make his a, a, a skin a, a drum out of his grandmother's skin to beat his own praises as, as well, one said of Churchill. Um, he he comes across as you know, as a human being doing a difficult job um, and doing his best fist at it, even if that isn't awfully good. So I I, I think that Drakeford is actually, um, whilst he's, you know, as he's just gradually, he's, the, the neck is just peering out of the edge of the shell and just poking it, the eyes sort of peering in each direction very slowly and maybe a leg or two is protruding from the little sort of orifices as well. Um, but he's starting, he's starting to walk politically. Um, and, and I think Drakeford is um, in 2021 actually going to be um, Welsh Labour's biggest asset in their election. Uh, and it certainly isn't something I'd have said, uh, you know, at the time when he took over from Cardwyn. Carwin was a great flim flam man. He was a, you know, a wonderful chap to have a, a drink with after the, um, the Wales and Chester circuit bar mess. Um, but he was, you know, had the same connection with the average Welsh voter in the valleys as Marie Antoinette. Uh, Drakeford, I think, is somebody who people look at, they see as genuine. And even if Welsh Labour has absolutely nothing to be proud of whatsoever in its record of 20 years of misgovernment of the country of Wales, um, I think that he is something that will actually end up being an asset to his party um, and will consolidate their position next
0: year. Hugh, the problems that face Plaid Cymru, would you say are similar to the ones that face the Welsh Conservatives? Paul Davis is not visible as... In a similar vein to Adam Price, Drake has had all this press, and Boris isn't nearly as popular as he was at the beginning of the coronavirus crisis. Who leads the Welsh Conservative campaign in terms of, you know, they look to London usually to, to lead, to lead from, from the front, in terms of even the, the Assembly campaigns. Who is leading, the, who will lead the Welsh campaign? Who will have the presence, do you think, that will result in Welsh Conservative gains? Uh,
1: it will be Boris, quite frankly. Um,
0: you
1: know, being And is the, that risky? Um, well, it, it depends what you, you class as risk. Um, if you look at public recognition rates, uh, we as we discussed before, is, is very, very low, and Boris is extraordinarily high. Um, so you're gonna use your, you're gonna use Boris to sell Paul. Um, and I think Boris will be a key feature of that campaign, um, because he can drum out the traditional vote, which is the Conservatives have a massive problem with getting out that, getting out the Conservative vote. Um, it, what the Conservative strategy should be, and I think it is going to be, is that you shouldn't focus on trying to win people over who voted Labour. You just need to look at where you've got your votes last year and get as many of them out as possible, because this is a turnout oh. election. Because of the low turnout we get at assembly elections, you need to turn out your base, turn out your voters, and then try and win seats.
2: Um, oh, but it, it for me, Charlie. So Sorry, go
1: on, go on,
2: go on, John. Well, if I may, I I interviewed Paul Davies on Monday this week and Mm. I put it to him, as I put to Angela Burns previously, that the turnout in uh, Senate elections, elections to the Royal Assembly, is so dismally low that realistically the Conservatives only have to poll their standard votes that they get in a general election and they'll walk it in. Now, there are oddities to the Welsh electoral system, but Paul Davies made no bones to me that he said that if we get 75% of our vote out, we get a majority Conservative government. And the job that Paul Davies has set himself is basically to get 75% of the people who voted Conservative in December, mm-hmm. out and into the polls next May, to vote Conservative. And if he manages that, well, I think it will be a minor miracle if he manages that, If he does manage it, then, you know, all bets are off. But my fancy is that, and I agree with Matthew Paul here, is that what's playing to Drake with strength at the moment, such as they are, is a sense of dogged determination. He's just plodding on. He's not saying anything exciting. He's not pretending that he's got the answers for everything. He's just plodding on. And in the situation in which we find ourselves at the moment, plodding on is often enough. Um, and I think that you'd be an idiot to bet against Labour being the biggest party in the um, Senev after the next election. Um, whether they have a majority, I think, is very much open to question. They've not had a majority yet, and I can't see them getting one next May. And um, Matthew Paul, how do you rate the...
0: Yeah, chances of the Welsh Conservatives. Obviously, the last Assembly election you stood and, uh, the, uh, and uh, Andrew R.T. Davis. How do you assess Welsh Conservative chances in next year's election? Well, the enthusiasm amongst Conservative
3: voters in Wales for Senate elections has historically been absolutely dire. It's been non-existent. Um, and uh, John's absolutely right, just turning out Conservative voters for elections to the Senate. Um, has historically been a near impossibility. Now, I wonder if all the stuff that's coming out on social media with huge efficiency from the abolish the Welsh Assembly Party um, might not actually um, have the perverse effect of alerting people to the existence of the Welsh Assembly um, and um, getting them to go and vote Conservative in these elections rather than the, uh, the intended result of the, uh, uh, the, the adverts. Because the, the all you need to do, really, is to make people aware that the Welsh Assembly exists, that it does in fact, that it it does in fact have some power, well it doesn't exist anymore obviously of course the Welsh Parliament, Um, but it does in fact have some power and that it does affect how your life is run and Covid will have helped with that because people do now recognise that there are decisions being made in Cardiff that affect your daily life in Wales And it might prompt some people who haven't bothered to vote in previous elections because they thought this was immaterial to go out and um, cast a vote, probably for the Conservatives rather than any of the sort of wacko French
1: parties. Can I just uh, 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 interlude that? I think you're right that it will encourage people to go out and vote. I think you would encourage that part of the electorate who do not like devolution to go out and vote. But I don't think you you should (laughs) necessarily link that with voting Conservatives. Because I think that those who want to get rid of it as I've made the point many times in this podcast they're not going to change their mind for like a diet coke style um, alternative they're going to want to get rid of it completely and vote for the full, full, full vote for the full definite article um, so I think you are correct that it will motivate that party electorate go to vote but I don't think it necessarily will vote for um, a party which is more um, uh, um, how, how would you put it, soft devo-skeptic rather than hard devo-skeptic, shall we put
0: it? I think, can appeal, back
3: it. The, appeal, I think the appeal of devo-skepticism is being vastly overstated. Um, it's, I, I don't, I, I, the, the problem has been that nobody really is that bothered about the Welsh Parliament. Um, and I don't think that going around trying to whip up um, huge discontent with the Welsh Parliament is doing is, is actually having that effect. Uh, it, it, if it raises awareness of the existence of the place um, together with the fact that somebody in the Welsh Parliament has now said that you're not allowed to leave your house for fortnight, uh, then personally I think that's a, a slightly positive effect. I, 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 I disagree. I think it's, it's going to have the effect. I think you're wrong to say it's overstated.
1: Directly think, you, know, it's got, you know, six in ten Tory voters want to get rid of the place. That's not overstated at all. <laughs> that's a lot of voters. Um, you know, you, you write it off at your peril, I
2: think.
1: Yeah, I think, I think they, the Tories write it to off. At the they point. couldn't
3: be bothered to go and vote for that last time there was a referendum about the powers of the Assembly. I mean, if somebody who is so anxious to abolish the Assembly can't be bothered to go and vote in a referendum. It wasn't about abolishing
1: watch
3: the, the Assembly, power, was it? To, to, to limit the Assembly's powers. Um, then I, you know, I, 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 I think that is. Well, I think is, that,
1: that referendum uh, campaign was very lax. I remember it, I remember it being very, very lax. And it wasn't, and bearing in mind both sides said, this is not about abolishing it at all. This is just about certain giving it powers over the 20 areas, legislative making powers of the 20 areas. So
3: so, so, so the the real abolishers, the real abolishers on your um, understanding of this all said, well, yeah, go on, let them have, let other people go and vote for them to have tax raising powers then. What do I care? Uh, I I don't think that's how, I don't think that's how it was. I I think there is um, as much apathy amongst the, number of people who on the whole might slightly prefer it not to be their side of, of political opinion. And I think that's where the Tories are on the whole. I think your average Welsh Tory would on the whole probably slightly prefer the Welsh Assembly not to exist. But I do think they're going to go out and waste a vote um, on a Mickey Mouse party that is just, you know, that is just there for a single issue and won't achieve its goal anyway. In fact, all it will do is the somewhat counterproductive and arguably hypocritical aim of getting a couple of people on decent salaries into the institution that they claim they want to abolish? <laughs> um,
0: interesting. Interesting discussion, as always. Um, well, thank you very much uh, to Hugh, to Matthew, to John, uh, especially. Um, that was probably the, the biggest uh, episode that we've done on these weekly reviews with some. Yeah, robust- we've we we never had a debate like that. We, we actually had some robust yes. disagreement, so uh, <laughs> we're going to have to resurrect this panel again, I think. Um, thanks for coming on. Um, we're going to have more interviews next week and so on and so forth, so please dial back in then. Um, but see you soon. Good night. Good night, Charlie. For more from the Prodane Review, head to Prodain.review on any web browser or turn into the check out at Predating Review on Twitter or Facebook.